Welcome to the Daily Thunder podcast. I'm your host, beat writer for dailythunder.com, Brandon Rabar, filling in for podcast host Ryan Woods, who's picking up his mama at the airport, and now we'll put in a sound effect that goes, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Now I don't need to use it. JD was my sound effect. I appreciate that. I am joined tonight by DT contributors, Ian Kayanja. How are you doing tonight, Ian? Um, I'm good, man. I'm great. Fantastic. And J.D. Taylor, how are you doing, my friend? Pretty good, man. It's nice to watch the Thunder win tonight after a week of not-so-good results. Let's be diplomatic. <laughs> so for those that don't know, where are you from, J.D.? Uh, the UK, so more specifically Nottingham. It's about two and a bit hours north of London. Perfect. The accent should be clear, but it's a lot of Okies that's going to be listening to this podcast. So, you know, whether it's British, it could sound Australian, New Zealand. These oaky ears, we can't decipher sometimes the difference in those accents. Ian, it kind of stinks that every girl loves hearing an English accent. We're just a couple of regular dudes now. But yeah, if you could I mean, see our faces, right, Ian? If you could <laughs> yeah, see Yeah, that's our- what I'm saying. Exactly. You know, once you see the face, it's all game over. <laughs> so let's talk about the Thunder tonight. They whipped the Cavs. Let's be honest. The Cavs jumped out to an early start. And I think that every single Thunder fan watching the game was like, yeah, this isn't going to last. I think every Cavs fan watching the game tonight was like, yeah, this isn't going to last. The Cavs have lost nine games coming into tonight. And it's funny because they have a lot of good young talent, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And uh, help me out. Jared Allen? Jared Allen looked Jared like Moses Al- Malone tonight. Yes, uh, yes. Who else, J.D.? I mean, I like Isaac Okoro. I think he's pretty good defensively. Exactly. I mean, we're talking about three guys that were taking five, five, and eight in the past three lottery drafts. And then Jared Allen, these guys should be better than they are. They beat the Brooklyn Nets in back-to-back games. I mean, there's no reason why they should lose 10 in a row, but the Thunder have overachieved all season long and the Cavs have been underachieving on the whole for a season. So I think that we all saw this coming. The question is, were we happy about it? The Cavs are a team that the Thunder are kind of battling out for one of those bottom five spots as far as a draft pick goes for the likes of Kuminga and Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green. And now they kind of have, maybe it's one of those, the Thunder won the battle, but maybe the Cavs have won the tanking war tonight. We'll get to the tanking, but what were your thoughts on the Thunder tonight, Ian? Well, overall, I thought it was, one, a great game from Shy. We, we know what he can do, but... I, I tweeted out because I was, you know, manning the Daily Thunder Twitter today. I tweeted out about Roby and just like how his effort, whenever he comes in, it, his effort changes a game. And you really saw it tonight where it was kind of a back and forth game. And the Cavs started hot and then Roby checked in and he made a few plays. And the next thing you know, Shy got hot and the rest is kind of history. And so I've just been so impressed with him all season, just his growth as a player and as a person on the court, just how he's been kind of influential in in every aspect of the game. Yeah, that's a good take. As far as like all the young players go, you know, I think everybody coming in, everybody knew SGA, Dort, Baisley, then you're kind of excited about guys like Maladone and Poku. 
Hami was kind of forgotten about. He had a great night tonight. And then, like you said, Roby kind of is the one that came from out of nowhere. I mean, he was the one guy that just kind of went completely under the radar. I'm going to say Ty Jerome's going to be one of those guys, too. He's been completely under the radar. I think he's going to make a big impact the second half of the season. But Roby's been great. J.D., what were your overall thoughts on the game tonight? I, have to, I was not particularly impressed with how it started. But I thought when the bench unit came in, they just seemed to get the thunder, bring the energy level up, and they cranked the intensity up, and the defense started to improve. And I have to say, uh, Ian made a very good point about Roby, but for me, I thought it was Kenny. If you look at Kenny's impact on the game and the hustle, he, he just makes the right play at the right time, and that's so useful for a team to have, just to have someone who knows what they're doing on the floor. And I don't think it's any real coincidence that he finished with plus 18 for the game in terms of plus minus. And Roby was uh, plus 18 for the game for plus minus. I think the bench unit was really big for the Thunder tonight. Yeah, the bench unit has been, to me, the biggest surprise. These guys, a lot of them were third stringers to begin the season, but injuries to George Hill, Al Horford sitting on back-to-back nights, injuries to Maladone and to SGA. These guys that were second, third stringers, a lot of them started, or they were third stringers who all of a sudden were second stringers, and they've been impressive. This bench unit was supposed to be the reason that the Thunder were going to tank so hard this season because everybody thought, okay, SGA, Horford, Hill, Dort, that's enough talent in the first unit to be competitive most nights. But, man, those young guys, that second unit, that's going to be what really tanks the team. Then all of a sudden you look at it, Hami has been – a revelation this season. I mean, what he's done to turn around his game has been ridiculous. Mike Muscala every night seems to hit three or four threes. He's in double figures. Like you guys said, Roby and Kenny Hustle have come out of nowhere to be these great role players. And then Justin Jackson has stepped up. Darius Miller, when he plays, he's been good. The bench has been so much better, I think, than everybody thought it would. So here's a question. We've got the Cavs that have lost 10 in a row. The Thunder won a top five pick. What's your guys' thoughts on tanking versus not tanking? I wouldn't normally bring this up, but because we played the Cavs and the Thunder clearly outclassed them without George Hill, should they try for a top five pick? What's your thoughts on the whole tanking thing, JD? I kind of think that the Thunder should tank because if you look at it, Oklahoma City is a small market. You're not going to get a free agent to sign here. So really, the only two ways you build is through the draft and through trade. And I think that tanking now, and it's a very good draft, I would say that at the top of this draft, there are four players who could easily go number one. Uh, four, uh, four game-changing players. And I think if you can tank this season, get one of those people in, I think it makes a lot of sense. Say Cade or Kaminga, I'd definitely go for that. So here's the question, Ian. Are the Thunder too good as currently constructed to tank? It's a difficult one. I've, I've battled with it all season, but I think I finally realize I fall in the don't tank category. And the reason being, this offseason, Presti was supposed to be gutting this roster and field one of the worst teams in the league. And somehow Minnesota's beating everyone out for that one. And they're <laughs> supposed to be good. But when you look at the effectiveness of tanking and drafting, it's kind of a terrible art form. You never know what you're going to get, even if you pick in the top three. And so, yes, every draft you think, oh, this guy's going to be a game changer. But with the skill level of a lot of these guys that are coming into the league, picking in the middle lottery, in the middle of the lottery isn't a terrible thing anymore, in my idea. I think that a lot of the guys that go between 7 and 14 – 
eventually pan out to be either good role players or some even turn out to be stars or all-stars. I mean, think about like SGA didn't go top five, you know? And so like, that's the type of thing that I'm thinking as a small market team, you have this pedigree of being a competitive team. Why would you want to gut that to just try to lose? There's a culture aspect about it. You know, like if, especially if you have young players on your team you don't want to be setting the precedent that oh we're gonna you know go out there and try to lose or we're gonna not be competitive and when you look at the struggles in Philadelphia for a long time until Doc Rivers got there this season I think it was a byproduct of them just not playing competitive basketball for like three years four years and then it took them changing everything in order for them to finally realize what they could be those habits those tanking habits are hard to break especially when they're built on young players so I think you have to go out there and try to be competitive, especially with this whole play-in thing. I mean, all you got to do is get to, what, 10? Yeah, you just got to get to 10. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if all you got to do is get to 10, I think even if they don't make the playoffs, just playing in a play-in game, that'd be fun. I mean, there's, there's a fun aspect that comes to being competitive, even when you don't expect to be. And shoot, if they almost get to 10 but don't quite get there, I'll be even happy with that because it's about a culture aspect for me versus just like outright losing for someone. And with the amount of draft capital that the Thunder do have, say you don't, your pick doesn't land in the top three, who's to say that a team in the top three doesn't want some guy and so they want to trade down and they, and you have enough draft picks to make that move. And so I don't think that the Thunder are boxed in where they only own their own picks that they have to tank. I think that they can be competitive. And then if a team wants to move down, they can be the team that takes advantage of that. You know, it's funny because I think that the Thunder fan base is pretty divided on this issue. And it's funny because we got three people here. And I think JD, who's one way, we got Ian, who's the other way, then I'm right down the middle. So we kind of see all sides of it because I think this has kind of been the perfect season. I do want a top five pick, but when I'm watching the team, I can't help but to root for them. When SGA shoots a shot, I want it to go in. When Maladone goes in for a layup, I wanted to see him complete it. So it's not like I'm like, oh, why'd you guys hit that shot? Now I may be like, hey, maybe we should have rested Horford against the Cavs and played him against the Heat because strategically a loss to the Cavs and a win against the Heat is kind of a double win. But I, I root for them when I'm watching them, but I want a top draft pick. I'm just straddling the fence over here. Here's a question, though. SGA tonight had 31 points, ridiculous efficiency as always, 9 of 15 shooting, 3 of 3 from the three-point line, 10 of 12 from the free throw line, the fact that he got 12 free throws, 9 assists, 4 rebounds, 1 steal, only 3 turnovers. Is SGA an all-star this season? JD? Yes, definitely. I fully believe that. I think that if you look at his numbers, you can make the statistical case. He's 22, 6, and 5 on the season. His true shooting is above 60%, which puts him in the Lillard, uh, Curry sort of around sort of efficiency, which yeah. is quite frankly ridiculous for a yeah. guard. I personally think if you look at it and make a case that compare him to all the other sort of guards in the West who are in his sort of category, so Mitchell, I'd say he's about even with Donovan Mitchell. He's been better than Connolly this year. He's been better than Booker. Morant has missed too many games in my liking. McCollum's missed too many games. Uh, really, then the only competition that he has is Chris Paul. And say that both of them get in as wild cards, which I would say is a pretty good bet. SGA should be an all-star this year, but I don't think he will be because he doesn't have the media profile. 
the Thunder have not played a national televised game as far as I'm aware. And obviously that plays into the fact when you see Mitchell cooking people every single night on TV, it's very easy for someone to make a judgment. To watch the Thunder, you actually have to hunt them out. And I think that's what's going to hurt Shea. You broke it down perfectly. He's got a better statistical argument than every other guy that's going to be in the running. I think it comes down to him and Chris Paul. Chris Paul, though, has his team is higher in the standings. Obviously, he's got more help. But Shea's numbers are much better. But the campaign part from the media is funny because I just got off of the media Zoom call, and I just spammed the entire media session with SGA all-star questions because I was trying to get it out there. I was like, somebody's got to, nobody's talking about it. So I tried to get the players and the coaches and everybody to talk about SGA as an all-star. Ian, what do you think? Is SGA an all-star? Should he and will he make it? You know, my biased opinion, I'd want to see SGA in the all-star game. I mean, who, who doesn't? It comes down to the question of who are you going to take off that reserve list though? And the all-star game it's it's tricky you know like you can make when the with the all nba like it's easy because it's like you're picking the top 15 guys in the league you know but the all-star it's for the fans it's for fun and so it's like i understand why it's a popularity contest you want you know the the league chairman in in the game you know you can't have an all-star game without anthony davis even though he hasn't been that great this season and so it's a bit of that same mold. And so it's like, who's going to be the guy to not, you know, not be there in place of SGA. And the good thing though, is that SGA is young. And though I believe he's an all-star, but I don't, I doubt that he'll get in. He, I think he has many more years and he's only getting better. Like we talk about the efficiency. I mean, I can only imagine what it's going to be like, you know, when it's year five, year six, and r- things are really going to start to click and, you know, the Thunder are going to be turning that corner where they're looking at contention again. I, that, that's what I think about because the lack of nationally televised games is really the biggest part in hurting him here. Not his numbers, not anything else. It's just, he, like you guys said, he hasn't had the media campaign. I agree with Ian. Shea's so young. He's going to make many all-star games, I think, at this point. I think coming into the season, Thunder fans, we thought he had it in him. This season, I think, has proven he is going to be an all-star. He's already at that level. It's just a matter of popularity and exposure, him not making it. But 22, surrounding him with better teammates, better records, better teams to come, he'll make all-star games. Now, let's talk about something else from tonight. You have the cast who've picked 5, 5, and 8, the last three lotteries. They've got a good young core. Should be an exciting young core. If you're a Cavs fan, despite their record and despite losing 10 games in a row, I think you should be excited. Here's the question, though. The Thunder haven't picked in the lottery since 2015 when they selected Cameron Payne. They haven't selected in the top 10 since James Harden in 2009. Whose young core would you rather have moving forward? The Thunder's? or the Cavs. And I think you can make a good argument either way. When you look at ceilings and potential, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Ian, whose would you rather have? You know, the, the right thing to say would be the Thunder, but I'm, I'd be lying if I didn't say, like, this idea of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland working doesn't intrigue me. I mean, it'd be like a more athletic Dame and CJ type of backcourt combo when I when I think of those guys like Colin Sexton's fast like he's he's so fast and he's a decent three-point shooter and Darius Garland I actually got to see um, him play a bit because he played up at Vanderbilt and I'm in the Nashville area for university 
see, so I got to see him play before he kind of ended things once he got hurt. But, I mean, the guy's a real player. And so it's like the Thunder's young core, they have a lot of guys that are scrappy and guys that are going to be good role players. But I think the Cavs' young core has a lot of guys that have star potential. And that's what intrigues me is it's more of the upside of the Cavs guys versus the Thunder guys. We know we have SGA, we know we have Dort, but outside of that, who can you pencil in that has true superstar potential? I think Sexton and Garland have that in them. Now, if they get there, that depends on the Cavs organization because we, we know Cleveland isn't always the best run, so... I think that you bring up a great point when you bring up ceilings and upside. That's the thing that's intriguing about the Cavs. What do you think, JD? I kind of have to go the other way. I go for the Thunder, I think, because I think SGA is a fantastic guard already, and he will only get better. I think Lou Dort is an all-defense guy from now to when, however long he's able to keep this level up. I'm a big believer in Teo Maladon. I think that he's a fantastic player. I think he's shown a lot already at the NBA level. He doesn't make the rookie mistakes that we usually associate with. And I think there's a lot more in his game, personally. I can see him being a primary playmaker, playing in a two-guard lineup with Shea, and I can see him excelling. In perhaps you could say it's a similar to you know a Sexton Garland kind of thing, but I think they guard a bit better. I think Shea, when he tries hard, guards really well, and I think the same thing goes for Teo. I'm also pretty high on Poku. I think that obviously his scoring is not quite there right now. But if you look at his defense, his rotations that he makes, his closeouts, he's, I said this uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said that he does the difficult stuff well, but he doesn't do the simple stuff good right now. But I think that will come with time. I think give him a year and put a bit of muscle on his frame. And I think he will be good for the Thunder. I think the Thunder have got a lot of high upside guys where you can kind of see them sort of breaking through into that potential because they've got a decent technical base as it is. But Cleveland, I think they've got too many sort of athletes who need a lot more technical work for my liking. I'm kind of glad that you both chose a different side because I think you can argue both sides pretty well. But the, the fascinating thing is that this is a debate. You know, you could go either way. You've got one team that's uh, been one of the worst teams for the past several seasons and have all these lottery picks. And you have another team that hasn't picked in the lottery since Russell Westbrook's dance partner. And that was the last pick in the lottery. So it's, it's fascinating that the Thunder picking, you know, second round guys, undrafted guys, and then their best one was the number 11 overall pick that the Clippers took in Shea. And it's a debate. You could say either way that one of these is the better young core, and it makes sense. That's exciting for the Thunder, especially when you follow their futures and know that the Thunder also, oh, yeah, have 30 more first-round picks coming to them. That is what makes this exciting. Hey, speaking of the Thunder's future and tanking and things like that, just got word that Minnesota fired Ryan Saunders. So, hey, Maybe Minnesota will start playing with a little more fire underneath them, and maybe they'll start winning some games. This also makes Mark Dagnall the youngest coach in the NBA. And I'm going to say it, I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. Now, this is a small sample size, and the team is a bottom six record right now, so I know that sounds ridiculous. But what are your thoughts so far on Mark Dagnall as a coach? Ian? I've been thinking about this question a lot recently in the past couple of days. And I was, I was talking to one of my friends about it, and I, I was like, the Thunder really play for him. And that's something rare that you see with NBA coaches. It's that you rarely get the coaches where 
the team seems to run through a wall for them. And oftentimes coaches' voices fall on deaf ears. What are you going to tell a bunch of 25-year-old millionaires? But to see how hard the Thunder play and to see how, how not only – even if they're overmatched, say, offensively. Like, let's take the Bucks game, for example. He has them prepared to win in different ways, and they were still competitive in that game, and they got back in that game because of their team defense. And I think about that, and I think about the fact that he has guys committed to doing the little things. And if a coach can get the guys to do the little things, it's only, it's only going to be up from here once you get the talent to go along with that. Yeah, I completely agree. I've been blown away by how well this team is bought in and how inspired they play for him. You know, when you look at effort, hustle, energy, smart play, all those things, that's a reflection of a coach. And so I think that in this small sample size, what this team is doing and exceeding expectations under Dagnall is just really, really impressive. What's your thoughts, J.D.? I think for me, he's really impressed me. At the start of the season, I kind of just thought he'd be like a development guy. Well, I think he's shown real tactical uh, acumen over the last couple of weeks or so. The Thunder have had to deal with a lot of injuries with two, a bunch of different people. Obviously, Shea spent time out, Tails out due to health and safety protocols, Horford missed time, Hills missed time, and Roby also missed time. But then what he's been able to do is keep the Thunder competitive with eight, with eight or nine people, you know, third stringers or ro- rotation players, just every single night consistently. And the Thunder have remained competitive. Like they took the Lakers to overtime with very little. And it's quite impressive to see the Thunder do that. And I think that's a testament to Coach Mark because he puts the Thunder in positions to succeed. Um, if he's got all bigs, he'll run all hand, he'll run a lot of handoff actions, run the motion offense as it should do. If he's got guards, he'll run a lot more of a driving kick. He's quite fluid with his tactics. And I think that's really helped the Thunder out quite a lot. Anybody watching this Thunder team this season has to be impressed by Coach Dagnold. It's crazy. They, they had a guy who finished second in Coach of the Year last year, and they might have improved their coaching position. That's, you know, no diss to Coach Donovan, but I'm still a little upset that he played Stephen Adams so much in that playoff series against the small ball Rockets and didn't play Baisley or Mascala at the five but I'll get over it eventually. So last thoughts before I let you guys go for the night. The Thunder play the Heat on Monday night. It's a back-to-back game. More than likely, Al Horford sits. The Heat have been up and down. They've been an inconsistent team this season. Obviously, when they have it all together, they won the Eastern Conference last year and went to the finals. What's your predictions on Thunder Heat tomorrow night, Ian? Um, I think the Heat are finding their groove. The, the team's completely different when Jimmy Butler plays, and so we kind of forget that he missed a lot of time to start the year. So I think the Heat are probably going to beat the Thunder, especially if Al Horford doesn't play because Horford's a big part of what the Thunder do offensively. And so, um, yeah, I think that I think the Heat are honestly going to run away with it. JD. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with Ian here. I don't think without Horf- with Horford being out, the Thunder don't really have an answer for Bam Adebayo. And I think he will cause the Thunder a lot of issues. So I can probably see Miami winning that one quite easily. Yeah, Thunder's biggest weakness is probably rim protection anyways. You know, just size down low. And it's so noticeable when Al Horford's out because he's really the only guy. As much as we all like Roby and Muscala, they're not exactly beefy dudes to put down low and bang around with guys like Bam. So... Yeah, I think advantage Heat tomorrow night. But it's one of those win-win games because the Thunder own the Heat's draft pick. If 
the Heat beat the Thunder, hey, better draft pick for the Thunder. If the Thunder beat the Heat, hey, better draft pick for the Thunder. So win-win tomorrow night. Ian, JD, you guys do such a great job with what you're doing with DT. Thank you for being on the show tonight, guys. Yeah, it's always a good time. It's always a pleasure, mate. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening to the Daily Thunder Podcast. Thank you.